This week's episode of the Limehouse Podcast is brought to you by SomedaysOfDiamonds.co.uk That's SomedaysOfDiamonds.co.uk Check it out now. And please, enjoy the show. Well, welcome back to the Limehouse Podcast. This is me, your host, William Porteous. The one and only Limehouse Podcast, brought to you every week in association with Sports Direct. That is incorrect. We are not sponsored by Sports Direct, okay? Anyway, if we were sponsored by someone, I like to think this show would be sponsored by Green Energy, you know? Or a really good ethical bank that would give me £20,000 an episode. Anyway, is that why you tuned in to this episode? Don't think it is, is it? So shall we uh, do this a little bit more professionally? Uh, Didi Pfeiffer is on the show. Didi Pfeiffer, what a character. You will love this conversation. We talk a lot about her, her, her very unique journey in as much that as she quit acting, turned into, uh, she got a degree in, in therapy. She got completely turned her life around. We talk a lot about um, her struggles with alcoholism. And um, she, she's sober now. She's definitely on the wagon and it's wonderful. And she, she really brings a damn good interview. And she's full of energy. And you're going to love it. She's got so many cool stories. And, uh, yeah, we talk a lot about her uh, her moment. Um, well, not her moment. Because she's in Big Sky at the moment. Sky Atlantic. It's a pretty damn good show. Or Amazon Prime. And, and uh, you know, and that's going really well for her. But then there is, there's stuff from her roots, from her beginning. Where I, when I first saw her, she was in Falling Down. I remember that scene in Falling Down with Michael Douglas? My God. The Maniac film. The guy who fucking loses his shit and just goes around shooting people. Well, shoot, I don't think he shoots anybody in that film. Um, but anyway, going into the, a diner, and this is where Dee Dee Fife's character is, and he's just got a fucking automatic gun, and he is going crazy, shooting up the place by accident, I must say. And Dee Dee Fife's character's in there, and it's hilarious, and we talk about it. And she's wonderful in that. And uh, yeah, I'm so I'm so glad to be bringing you this conversation because she's a very, um, she's unique in a, in a world where often eccentricities are stamped on and uh, they're made into sort of laughing stocks. So this is great. She's a wonderful human being and you are going to love it. You're going to love it. Um, but yeah, how has your week been? Mine's been very interesting. I've done a shit ton of planting. I've planted out a couple of borders in the new garden. Put a lot of salvias in. I've put a lot of uh, Archimilla mollis in, which is um, a, a lovely little plant. I've put so much stuff in and it, I, I feel spoilt. We also went to a steam museum to go today, guys. Do you know what a steam museum is? It's where steam engines power things like children's rides, or very small um, uh, trains. Yeah, that's right. It was wonderful. It really was to see little Pearl, two and a half year old daughter, 
running round, pretty pretty terrified of, of the merry-go-round, I must say. You know, the Mary Poppins one, you know, you sometimes see them. You know, at fairgrounds, you sometimes see the horses on the... They go round and round in circles, you know, uh, merry-go-rounds. And they go up and down and you sit on the horse. You know, you see them in the merry-go-rounds. Yeah. And um, she was scared of that. So she didn't do that, which was a shame. Uh, but there you go. What can you do? You know, you can you can only lead a child to fun and, and you cannot make it have the fun. As any parents will know out there, it's very exhausting to the extreme. But yeah, we're just slowly trying to get our house back in order. I don't know how you're doing, if you've, if you've got any chaos going on in your life. I know that the chaos outside our four walls seems like it's dying down a bit now, right? Like the, the FA Cup semi-finals on today where my team Southampton bowed out in a disgraceful, pathetic manner. But there were fans in there. There, were, there was like, you know, 4,000 fans or something. And that was great. And it feels like this just slow, you know, baby steps towards normality. So that's something to be really positive about. At least I think so, you know. I mean, God. Well, can I just say, just really quickly, how many times have you read a book in one year? Like, I mean, for example, I'm reading The Talented Mr. Ripley again for the fifth time in a year. That is completely bonkers. I'm not saying December to April. I'm just talking like maybe I started I started reading again last summer and I feel like I've read it like five times. Is that normal? And I'm saying audiobook here, by the way, guys, because David Menkin, the guy who narrates it, is a is absolute class. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I I, with the, I bought out the uh, the Planets book to you the other week uh, with Sam West narrating it, written by Brian Cox. I hope maybe one or two of you have listened to that or or had it had a had a gander, as it were. The Talented Mr. Ripley, guys, let's get on board with that, because I'm going to be bringing you an episode where we just talk about the Talented Mr. Ripley. And I can't wait. But it's a busy week. I've got so many conversations uh, lying ahead of me. I've got a conversation with a rugby union player, which is going to be fun. And I've got a, a conversation with a um, with a, with 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 a wonderful a stage actress a singer. And I can't wait to bring you that either. It's 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 all go. That's what it is. It's all go. But look, I'm going to go now. And look, Didi Pfeiffer, do check it. Do check it out. Okay. It's a great conversation. Um, and if you've got the time, somedaysofdiamonds.co.uk. That's my uh, website for the short film uh, and the comedy pilot. And you've got the, the Limehouse Podcast blog up there. You've got the Limehouse Podcast episodes up there. I'm trying to just collate all my all my sort of creativity into one spot. And that's somedaysofdiamonds.co.uk. So yeah, and we're on Twitter, Limehouse Pod at Limehouse Pod, and of course we're on Instagram, one and only. Yikes, that's a lot of information. I'll put it all in the show notes. How about that? Yeah. Anyway, look, look after yourself. Take care. Baby steps back towards normality. Rock and roll, Southampton Football Club. You should be ashamed of yourself. Bye. <laughs>
better to be electronically challenged than in other ways, I guess. <laughs> How are you? I'm, 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 I'm shockingly bad at the technology. It's absolutely oh. amazing that, I'm even, that we're even able to do this, to be perfectly honest. I've, um, I don't know, I've been doing this about four years and I still just, every single interview, I'm terrified that something's... Oh, te- yeah. Te- I'm telling you, I took off for 10 years and I came back and then COVID hit and then all of a sudden they're like Zoom and I was like, what the heck is that? I can't even, I don't even know how to use my phone, let alone the yeah. computer, right? But I did go to college. Right. <laughs> but but yeah, it's, it's, it's funny though because I... I, I had a proper flip out when I tried to use Zoom for the first time on a call. It was pathetic. I went completely loony, 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 like falling down Michael Douglas crazy. <laughs> because I was like, I just didn't know how to link the audio. All it was is pressing one button. It was like literally. Yeah. And, I was, and I just flipped out and I couldn't do it. And I just I sacked off the entire interview and I just literally threw my toys oh, out of the pram. It was pathetic. I know. My sons, I'm in Canada by myself, so now I'm on my own. But I'm always like, oh, look at my hair. Is this, this is audio, right? <laughs> this is audio. I love your hair. I was going to say how much I love it. Thank you. But it's it's doing a flippy flop. What is happening with the left one? Yeah, it's, 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 happy, it's like called my happy hair. But right now, yeah, the left one's not head, happy there. There we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, he's not, look, he's not very happy. <laughs> <laughs> For those that want to know, uh, Dee Dee's oh, left, um, uh, what, what's it called? A pigtail kind of thing is... is yeah, is, I started wearing my hair like this for when I was doing internship for um, those experiencing homelessness when I went to college. Yeah. Yeah, and they start calling me the intern with the happy hair. So, because I couldn't remember <laughs> my name. And then um, I, re- I realized it actually made people happy when they saw my hair like this. So it was, uh, and then it made me happy that they were happy. So it was a twofer. <laughs> well, it's worked on me as well. It's worked, worked a charm. I love it. Thank you, William. That's very sweet of you. It is kind of, you got like kind of the uh, Kim Deal vibe going on there as well. Like Pixies kind of vibe, you know, like the rock band Pixies. Oh, there's I, a bass. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Look, I've just, oh man, I've gone, I've gone to alternative rock already. Probably. Remember, yeah. I'm 57 and I disappeared for 10 years going to college, raising two kids. So I know minimal. Yeah. Before that, I wasn't really on to anything anyway. So I just really do you, do you get the whole, you do not look like 57 a lot? Well, let's right now, I'll tell you why. I discovered on Zoom, there's this little thing called the filter make yourself look better my my friend hooked me up to it and because i was really? walking around the whole room trying to aim it so that i looked really good and she's like oh honey there's a filter <laughs> <laughs> and i go why did you talk about <laughs> interviews looking like just utter like you know shit and excuse my language yeah so it's all right i went into <laughs> The audio and I was I moved the button a little to the left and all of a sudden all the wrinkles went away and I went oh, oh yeah <laughs> wow okay that's that's interesting technology scares the crap out of me in that regard as well like that see that Tom Cruise guy that that guy who used the technology to make himself look just like Tom Cruise oh doing a mad magic trick it was terrifying I was like oh my god we are we have only got twenty years left and then the world is basically gonna that's it it's all over twenty years. Oh. 
And because we know all these Zoom tricks to make ourselves look really good, what's happened now is plastic surgery has gone off the charts because people now want to look like the way they look in their Zoom calls once they've discovered the little tricks that I've discovered. Like, for instance, like this is a great angle. Look at my neck. Woo, look at that. All the wrinkles go away. And if I were to, I won't do it the other way. If I put my computer <laughs> down looking up at me, oh, I just added 20 years, right? So there's all these little tricks so that when you actually go out into real life and you catch yourself in the mirror, you're like, ah! <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. That filter. Where's that zoom filter? I tell you, man. Like that's that's definitely for some reason. Well, I've been thinking a lot about a dystopian sci-fi recently. But one film that set me off really weirdly was Wally or Wall-A or whatever the film is. The animation. Um, the animation even. And and I love that film. But I can I can see um I can see in the future what you're talking about there. People having this kind of like slip up where they 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 come off Zoom or what have you. And then, yeah, they're like, they just freak out. I mean, for someone like me, I've never really cared that much. And I, I really hope it stays like that. But I, I do still understand people that have a, a thing with uh, how they look, how they're getting older. It's, it's not fucking easy. Well, exactly. Because William, I took off for 10 years and went to go get a job yeah. to raise my boys. So I got to tell you, carbs became my best friend, sugar. I didn't care what I looked like. I was all of a sudden, I went from having to really care a lot a thousand percent about how I looked um, yeah. and to like going to school where they're like, they don't care what you look like. They want to know, can you write that paper? Can you do that thesis statement? Can you, you make your argument or whatever the, whatever the class you know entails? So all of a sudden, um, and they tell you, feed your brain, feed your brain. And I'm like, oh no, you don't understand. I'm an actress. I'm just starving myself there. And I tried that my first year <laughs> college and I was like fainting all the time. And these kids are eating potato chips for breakfast and they're eating you know, M&Ms for lunch. And I was like, Oh wait a minute! I kind of like this. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Years, I didn't go back to the real world where all of a sudden I had to get the the freshman fifteen. I really took that too far. It was like the freshman fifty. Like I just went out. What's what's the freshman fifteen? What's that when it's There's at home? Like five to fifteen pounds you you gain when you go from like high school into college. Oh, like, okay. Going from in front of the camera to college which was even more extreme because when you're younger, you're active, you're running around. And then when you go to college, you're sitting a lot in class. You're, you're sitting a lot in um, groups, you know, working on papers. Uh, yeah. You're uh, writing a lot, you're studying a lot. And a lot of that is sitting, you know, and you're eating because you do it to feed your brain. And then the well, whole self-care goes out the door because they don't really schedule in self-care. You got to do it. So you got to be good at that. And I'm the worst. I'm just used to starving myself. <laughs> Dude, who, who is good? I'm, I'm, well, suppose it's like, yeah, like, you know, like you said, like you're used to starving yourself because of the, you know, the industry you're in is not yeah. exactly what you're in, were in, back in. It's like, that's, that's just the way it is for, for specifically for women. It's like, you know, be, be thin or be out, you know, uh, there are a few exceptions to that rule, but, um, but for guys as well, there was a really, really good documentary, um, on, on the BBC recently by a cricketer called Freddie Flintoff and he, examined pretty um, ruthlessly um, bulimia and eating disorders within sport and within, well, just men, not sport, but just men. And it was actually quite alarming to me. It really opened actually a lot of a can of worms in my own eating because I didn't realize just quite how much I think about it. And I often think about my weight way more than I should, you know, and I think it's I think it's within every everyone, right? You know. Well, absolutely, and I think also there's a, I think there's a misunderstanding as well. For instance, um, I'm almost um, sober, almost three years. I'm in recovery for alcoholism, 
Yeah, I love the thumbs up. Okay, if everyone can Three see. Three years, dude. That's that's fantastic. Thank you so much, and I want to be loud and proud about it because it's something we don't talk about. It's something that I was very ashamed of. Shame is something that um, is something that we carry with us as addicts. You know, and it doesn't matter what the addiction is, which is why I brought this up when you brought up eating disorders. I went to rehab. Mm. And I went to rehab with people who not only had alcoholism, they had meth addiction, heroin, food addiction, sex addiction, gambling addiction, yeah. right? And so when you say food, that's right in there. If you're using yeah. food, purging or you know, depriving, you know, when you're using food as a drug to control or to run from feelings or what have you, the same one would use a drug or alcohol, you know, there lies the problem, but, you know, and mm. so... You know, for me, when I was younger, to have been anorexic, absolutely, it falls, it's whack-a-mole. I may not have been drinking when I was younger, but I was starving myself. You know, I was using yeah. food as my drug. And then I got later in life, it became alcohol. And and then, of course, smoking cigarettes like a crazy woman. And then I had to quit right. that, you know, and now I'm an M&M freak. But guess what? <laughs> I'm a guy from an M&M freak. But I do have to work on the old tushy because it goes right to my right to my thighs. Yeah. But now I got to work on that element, but I'm not going, it's not making my life unmanageable eating. Okay. Mm. Metal chips. Okay. Jalapeno. There. No, no, no. I get, I get it. I get it. Uh, Just, just quickly. Do you, do you, have you got um, um, a mic on or anything or an earphone thing or anything? You just went a little bit muffled there for some reason. I don't know. It's just a. I have a little headset thing. Let me put it in. Yeah. No, it probably won't make any difference, to be honest. Like the, in fact, most of the time, audio from your computer is better than a headset. Okay. Um, but no, I'm really, I'm really interested in, in how open you are uh, about, you know, your um, addiction and what have you and, and your past. And interestingly, shame is such a, um, I think it's a foundation, isn't it, for all kinds of horror in your, in your own head, in one's own head. It's... And fear. I got to tell you, it's fear. And if you really want to go a layer deeper, it's almost always coupled with undiagnosed, untreated trauma. Because, and, and trauma is very individual, very subjective. You know, what may have traumatized you may not have traumatized me as a child or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, the, the why you were traumatized really doesn't matter. It's the fact that it goes undiagnosed and untreated. And then so one wants to treat it themselves in some way. And that's either sitting in it wallowing in it where it just dissolves you or you're running from it at 100 miles an hour right because we're not taught the skills one needs you know to um well first one has to even acknowledge that there's trauma there you know and then that looks different but that would be the why right the why one uses the alcohol meth sex food or whatever right so there's all these levels to addiction that need to be assessed for and um what happens is, is that, unfortunately, in society, we're, we still blame those of us who have that disease. You would never blame somebody who has cancer. You would never do that. Shame on you, right? But those, yeah, of course. That, yeah, but, uh, but having an addiction is a disease. It's in the DSM-5. It's diagnosable. And so, um, but we don't treat that way. We still have social stigma. We still have the, why can't you just stop drinking? What's your problem? Why don't you have, have the whole bottle of wine? What's wrong with her? You know, what's yeah. wrong with him? Why can't he have one hit of meth? I don't know anybody who could do that, but let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> I get to sleep with everybody everybody I know. <laughs> right? It's like so we judge the action, we judge the and and their weakness. Okay, and here it goes. Here yeah. we go. It's almost like it's a weakness in us that we can't stop. But therein lies the problem and the judgment. If I was like you, William, I would be a normie and I could stop. See? So there's a difference there. But if you're looking at yeah. me, 
like I'm a normie, then then of course it, it makes no sense. But if you look at me with somebody like like you can't treat your own cancer. Good luck with that. Yeah, I mean, I I understand um, addiction uh, pr pretty well. It's um, I've got you know uh, someone in my family who's in AA. Uh, was it? Uh, yeah, is an AA brother, and um, you know, and it stems from yeah, you know, it was it was pretty br a brutal reason why they went in. But when you spoke about um, trauma, that's really where it was coming from. And and the the child the childhood trauma, and um, that they were going through that they were that they kept with them for years and years and years and years, um, and and I and I get that and the constant topping up of alcohol as well during the day like you know and it's just um, running from it man and you're the alcoholic inside of you the diseased part of you to remain alive has to uh, believe that you are shameful, has to believe that you're less than. And something else that always happens to those of us who've been traumatized and then also are addicts, is that we often feel like we don't fit in. Often, hmm. we don't feel like we fit in. And so to come out and say, I need help, makes you feel like a failure. I mean, you already feel like a failure because you don't look at the world like everybody else does. You don't see it. You don't use the same lens because your lens is broken. Hmm. It's a traumatized lens, right? So there's all these dynamics that are different. and. I mean, I could sit and educate people all day long on this. Dude, but, but I'm loving it. But if they don't really, and I'm not asking people to understand it, because this is kind of big stuff. But how mm. about this? They're different than me, and I have to allow that to be okay. And make it okay that I don't understand them. I didn't understand me until I got my butt into rehab. And I was around mm. people like me, and I realized, oh, my God, I'm not alone. Oh, my God, I'm not alone. I think that's all of, I think this is what I'm, I, I think fundamentally I'm tr speaking to is shame is so good at narrowing it down to just you and your own individual whirlpool of shit. And it's only you that's experienced, it's, it's only you that's experiencing this terror and fear and horror. And uh, and that's what shame is so good at. It's like, it's, it's building a fortress for you to be imprisoned in. And then when you do speak to people about your own weird, crazy shit, it's like, what? You you do that as well? You think that? Oh my God, I am not on my own. And yeah. and I've experienced that with mental health, you know. I've experienced that when I met my wife and I met her friends. And we just, I just met this clique of, of really open, cool people. And we all just spoke about our weird, intrusive thought patterns. And then they're not kind of weird in, in, anymore. They're just normal. Uh, but you didn't know that. But um, I'm rambling, if any of that made no, sense. I love listening to you, but you're right about the shame. Shame keeps us in our disease. Shame keeps us from healing. Shame absolutely keeps us from reaching out um, and saying, I need help. And here's something else. I was raised by a strong German man from the farm where if you cut your finger off, you put it in a bottle of whiskey and you sewed it up yourself. You know, your mom, my grandma did. I mean, just hardcore farmers, you know, none of them went to school, but like one or something. I mean, yes, they walked in snow with no shoes on or whatever, right? Um, <laughs> you as children, you want something, you earn it. If it hurts, you get up and you go, right? So that's how I dealt with all my trauma. It didn't hurt, get up, go. And I, you were rewarded in society. Wow, look what happened there. And look, she went right to work. Wow, wow, look yeah. at her. You were rewarded for running from your pain. You were rewarded for saying it didn't hurt, didn't hurt, didn't hurt, didn't hurt. And it did hurt. And, you know, so without the proper assessment first and then the treatment to be able to not necessarily sit in it, certainly not run from it, but learning how to lean into yeah. it. 
and having conversations like we're having right now is the beginning. A lot of people I've already, I've lost to addiction breaks my heart. One of them was my son's best friend, 17 years old. We had to bury him. I mean, are you kidding me? And the, I was a year sober and I was like, oh, I'm right. I, 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 he was like a son to me and my son did the eulogy. And it was like, this is serious shit and we need to start talking about it. I don't expect every, I'm not idealistic. I don't expect everyone to get it or even want to have the conversation, but I know I'm part of the problem and not the solution. If I don't own my recovery and I don't say, Hey, look, I'm talking about it. Maybe one of the person out there goes, Hey, I want to be brave and, and, and talk about it as well. And by the way, it's yeah. not weakness asking for help. It's not weakness. And I think no, that God, no, no. But we do perceive it when you're in your disease is weakness. Cause it's like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I stop something wrong <sighs> with me? I'm weak. Otherwise I should be able to stop. And that's a fallacy. That is wrong information, you know? Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a, there's a really good podcast called Dear Sugar um, with uh, Cheryl Strayed and Steve Almond. And, and that got me through a lot of stuff because um, you do, you, 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 you prevent yourself from talking about, your own emotions um if you're an addict you get you know you prevent yourself from from opening up and and just talking and accepting some things because you're scared of what your inner circle friends or family are going to think right and it's so basic judgment Who did, who's not afraid of being judged i'm not going to you're doing this interview with you but this is the first time that i've been doing interviews talking about my addiction i feel vulnerable i feel uncomfortable i feel a bit ashamed trying to come up and I keep reminding myself that's a thought. That's a thought, right? Yeah. It creates a feeling and then it's going to create a behavior. And I have to remind myself, you're doing this for the bigger picture. I'm putting myself in a very uncomfortable, vulnerable position in the hopes that mm. this interview may help one person or one family, yeah. family member understand their loved one who's struggling right now, right? Maybe yeah. something I said goes, Oh, I kind of understand Jill or Joe a little better or whatever, right? Maybe I'm trying mm. a little. I want to be part of the solution, whatever that looks like. No, no that's that, that's great, man. Like that, I think that's how AA works is what any kind of like, you know, um family works. One one person. I mean, I definitely I definitely get that. Um and that's why it's great to talk to you about this. I mean, I don't suffer from addiction, but I like I said I know people who have very very close to me and also it, the, the patterns that lead to addiction but it what you're talking about there would be quite interesting to talk about some of some of your childhood and like where you where you grew up and what 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 were you into like your your hobbies and stuff as a little as a little kid how far back does your memory go Didi? i want to know that because <laughs> mine literally goes back to about yesterday and that's it he just said the word memory in, in the same yeah. sentence as Dee Dee Pfeiffer and you know <laughs> we met um that's <laughs> like no memory I'm like I don't even remember like your name Fred no I memory <laughs> like has been a challenging thing for Miss Pfeiffer over here and for a lot of reasons I'm pretty sure that um I have uh, long haulers I'm pretty sure so the hair's falling out the thug memory I write my lines in between my finger not because I'm a lazy actress but because yeah. I can promise you, I know my lines. I'm a smart woman. And I go to set and it just disappears out of my brain like I, like it never existed. So I have, and I don't want to keep messing up the takes, so I have posties all over Denise's computer with my lines. And I write them in between my fingers if I have to walk away from the computer just so I can keep the scene going. 
because I have no memory. Um, memories of my childhood. We had a pretty, um, at that time, remember I was born in 64. Dinosaurs, still yep. tromping around. We had no computers. We had no phones. Um, so, so that's a great, a great year to be born because you've got like 10, 15 years of great music ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I got to tell you. Yes. Um, I, I kind of remember running around barefoot everywhere. We didn't have yeah. our phones or anything. And we were kind of like um, just, we, you know, we lived in a track and all the kids ran around and you went home and you kind of sensed the sun going down kind of feeling. And you can almost right. hear the smack from my mom if I wasn't home in time or where have you been? You made me, you scared me and then whack, you know, so you didn't want to get that. So you kind of started like watching this where, and go home. And um, I remember stepping- Where in the States is this? If it's in the States or? Orange County, but not the rich area. Orange County wasn't rich like it is now. When I lived there, there were oil rigs and there was an orange field behind my parents' house when they first moved there oh, really? in the 50s, yeah. So when I say Orange County, I'm not talking about right now. It, it, it's like Beverly Hills threw up all over Orange County last time I went there. Sure. Un, I don't know that place anymore. Um, we live like, like almost under a freeway if you really want to go there, um, off the 405. And I remember running around barefoot, stepping on tacks. And they literally would go in your foot and you'd pull them out and be like, ah, but you keep going. But got it. I just remember going, God, it's so annoying. And my mom would say, pick up your tacks. Well, <laughs> and yet I kept, I wouldn't, <laughs> stepping on him. And hence the yeah. nickname Hardhead, Peter Do the Hardhead. <laughs> yeah, hard I love head. it. Peter Do. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, what, one of s several, one of several kids or like? There's four of us, my brother Rick. Four. Shell. Oh, okay. And we all know her. Shell. And then yeah. my little sister. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're four. all. Oh, um, my. Older so which, generation. We're all excused. We're 50s. So you're like middly, are you middle, beginning, end? Which one were you? No, me and Lori. So I'm middle daughter. Okay, cool. I'm a middle child as well. Yeah, and Rick was like in his own world. You know. Oh, really? Quiet and knew to just stay out of the line of fire because we had a hot German dad, you know. And back in that day, everybody was smacking their kids around. You would literally get smacked in the middle of a grocery store and people would walk over you and say, what did that kid do to deserve that? I mean, <laughs> literally, yeah. like that, everybody was getting smacked. So there was no such thing, you know. So, yeah. Um, I mean, my It's a proven technique. It's a proven technique to, to work for about... Um, it worked, it worked through the whole of your childhood until you get to, like, your teenage years and then you start having PTSD. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, when people wave their, go to wave their hand, you know, I flinch. No. Um, right. no my yeah, parents, yeah. <laughs> my parents were not abusive. It was just the gener – it's a generational thing. That's, they were smacked yeah. on the farm and then they smacked us. I never – I got smacked. You got smacked? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I mean, God, is it bad to say this? I sound like Margaret Thatcher, but I, I, sometimes I think I needed just the threat of something more sinister to stop me from being a complete prick. Um, and I was... I remember a kid down the street. The mom would take, would take the um, race, the big wheels racetrack, which is that flimsy long piece of strip. And that's a whip and just beat the shit out of him. And then that, then that didn't work, so she took the wooden spoon, but then she broke it on him, and that didn't work, so then she finally just started, um, she took the <laughs> belt. But then she would make him go pick out the belt, which was like total psychological torture. 
Oh my God, that's mental. Had a bad just by a backhand from my dad if I said fart at the table. No, man, that kid was being totally like abused, and we just got smacked. Not a lot, just but enough where you remember. <laughs> just didn't do it again. Did, Living up to the German stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Um. What? So, did he speak German around the in the house at all? No, my parents no. North Dakota. <laughs> oh, okay. So they're like second, third generation or something like German. Like and then he said so. Friend, but we were German. He was my, yeah. my my dad was a drinker, so I don't know what he depends, <laughs> it, depends what day what time of day you asked him. We were German or Austrian. I don't know. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I just it, it fascinates me because I've read a lot about I've, I've read a lot of Larry McMurtry's books, um, the Lonesome Dove Saga. He's it's absolutely fantastic, and they, he talks. He loves talking about the um, immigrants that came over and um, essentially built um, the United States and uh, the Germans and stuff. The people that don't associate, you know, you don't you don't associate the Wild West with like Germans and and uh, Dutch people, what have you, building a. a America, but it but it happened, and it's fascinating to me. Like, do you know much about your family tree and and and, and what have you? Um, I'm an odd bird. I don't. Because yeah, I'm so fascinated with aliens and other life forms and ancient oh, astronaut theorists. I am so into ancient astronaut theorists. Giorgio, that guy is like a cool hair like me, and everyone <laughs> thought me and all of them were really crazy back in the day. Look at these people, the freaks. I'm telling you. Watch that. Watch the stuff that they're coming up with. That stuff is golden and it makes you think. I love it. And so I'm really interested in like what is out there in the universe. I'm so, I, yeah. like, I love traveling. I always say this. My boys think I'm nuts. I go, I love traveling. I want a spaceship to come down and take me away because I love to travel. Right. And they're like, yeah, but what about the experiments? I'm like, yeah, they, they can do without that. Or at least block my memory out so I don't remember any of that. Right. But I want to go to right. another. That would be so awesome. I'm not talking in the moon. I'm talking like really travel. Well, you know, I mean, Elon Musk, he could he could pick you yeah. out of a hat. You never know. What's Dee Dee Pfeiffer doing? Like fucking, what is, what is she doing? Like get her, get her on the <laughs> fucking rocket, man. But, <laughs> or and you know. Depth of the ocean, we have like these worlds yeah. that are buried down there that we're discovering about life before life that we know. To me, that stuff is fascinating. I love Well, we've all the world's mysteries and stuff with the pyramids. Don't tell me a bunch of people did that. No, no, no I don't. I'm not. <laughs> no, like, you know, the tractor. No, 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 they did not. No, that thousand, thousands upon thousands of people didn't die building that. I think they did, but you know, we, we could be wrong. Oh, really? I... Definitely. I mean, that's like, you know, that's a thing. It's like what they're doing out in Qatar at the moment for the World Cup, the World Soccer Football Cup thing. Basically, six and a half thousand people have fucking died building stadiums out there for this World Cup that lasts a month, and uh, it's absolutely reprehensible. It's just like what what happened in it happened since basically dawn of time. It's pretty depressing, really. But I'm I'm more I suppose I'm more interested in the idea of uh, down in the the depths of the ocean. I mean, I've seen the Meg with uh, Jason Statham. I've seen that film, and I think that there are giant sharks that are going to come and get us. Are we going off on one here? Are we no, going crazy? You're right, though. They've discovered some artifacts and bones and stuff from way down there. that, or, and, then, and fish, for instance, that are supposedly extinct. No, they're not. There's One just swam by. I mean, I love that stuff. Oh, this is fact. And then fact. Then, then the world's Mother Earth goes, uh-uh. You miss, you call. I love Mother Earth because she's tricky. She's clever. Yeah. She's 
own rules. We try to like make her fit in a box. Mother Earth is round. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's what she wants to do. I love that. I love that stuff. The mysteries of the world. Yeah. No, no, I do. I think that's where we're going to get a massive smack in the face by Mother by Mother Nature in about the next 20, 50 years. And I need a guy like Elon Musk. I think he could keep me in, like in, interested and, and mentally stimulated because I'm, as you can tell, I'm kind of like emotionally charged on a lot of like a lot of neurons are always firing with me. So, I, well, I, you know, I think we could put the word out. I think we could just like, you know, <laughs> get we, we could create a website or, you know, something has to be a billionaire. <laughs> For DD5, we need to date. Oh God, that's yeah. that's really sexy. Says no. Well, it's not just DD5 who needs a date. It's DD5 who wants to go and find alien life form. Yes. That's, yes. And come know. join me. I want you to come join me on this amazing journey, right? I'm there. I'd love to. I'm I'm, I'm big into astronomy, so we'll see what happens. Exactly. But um, your so your 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 childhood. I mean, like um. Two, to have two, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, but how many of your siblings are in the business, the acting or music profession? Michelle. Just you and Michelle. So yeah. My brother that's... retired. He was in heating and air conditioning, and now he's in retirement and um, living the life, man, because he worked hard. I mean, he was like up in attics yeah. for years and all that. And then my, my younger sister, Lori, works in um, this beautiful boutique. Um, yeah. And uh, sells these really interesting, loving, like earthy... Um, <laughs> I mean, stuff like, stuff i mean because I'm, I'm thinking of no cool stuff <laughs> yeah, no, what you mean? i know it's like because off the top of my head i'm thinking like um the, the 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 chance of getting two siblings uh from one family both being in the acting profession and you know what have you is quite it's probably not it, it is quite rare in my head i think it's quite rare like other than the baldwins you know all of them oh. acting every single one of them but it's just like what was that? What was that like? Did you did you follow in her footsteps? Did you both go it together? Did you were you both watching? I don't know some nineteen seventies like Scarface or something or was that eighties? Um, and and just and were you like really inspired together or uh, how, no. did, how did it work? No, Will, and your story is so much more interesting than what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> um, but I like your. Let's go with yours. Um, yeah, it was Scarface. Shell it was Al Pacino. To be a <laughs> Shell is always meant to be a star. I mean, she's just gorgeous. She's so talented, and probably one of the most lovely, compassionate women you'll ever meet. And she's smart, and she's like an artist too. I mean, she's got all these things. She is a star in in a, in a lot of ways, and the best sister uh, next to Lori. Listen, everyone thinks I only have one sister. And little Lori leaves over there going, what am I, Jack Cheese? <laughs> I'm like, I love you. So I would make a point and mention her and my bro, brother. I have the best brother. He's my only brother, so he doesn't have a lot of competition. Um, I always tell him that. Um, but she was always meant, I think that was her destiny. I kind of stumbled in it, <laughs> kind of like life. Okay. <laughs> Everything I've done has kind of stumbled in it. Um, I had worked as a little girl doing, like back then we didn't have child labor. Back then, if you could work, you did, period. I mean, you didn't need work permits or any of that stuff. So I was working since I was a little girl doing tons of odd jobs all over Orange County to make some money because my parents didn't have a lot of money, low to middle. We were like middle to low income kind of, you know? Okay, yeah. We yeah. weren't poor at all, but we, we, my dad paid the bills. And my mom went to the grocery store one time a week. That was it. And if we ate everything the first day, oh, well. Figure, eat, eat a lot of peanut butter on a spoon the rest of the week and whatever meal she would make you, which wasn't very good. Anyways, love her. <laughs> Um, but, um, so by the time I was 18, I was like, I didn't go, I didn't want to go to college cause I didn't understand why I would do that. 
um, because I, I came a family where you work hard, you know, um, you want something, you earn it. I, no one went to college in my, in my family. So no one even knew what that looked like or at all. So when they were yelling college at us, I was like, what? My parents were like, right. just get through with passing grades and go get a full-time job period. And then they threw their hands up and they, they said, well, we did, we did what we needed to do. We got them graduated and they, now they're, they can go work. That was it. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's that generation. There wasn't a lot of high expectations. Right. So I, at 18, Shell, I think was in Scarface. Actually, she was, because I went up there to LA. And I was oh like, my hey. God. That's so ridiculous. I could, oh, Michelle, what happened? she was in Scarface. Oh, William, yes. I, Am I? I don't know what's wrong really? with me. Okay. I, I literally just said Scar. I referenced Scarface as a film that you guys watched and thought, wow, that's a great film. I know that's And that got you into acting. What an idiot. Oh my God. That's embarrassing. No, actually, I'm glad you did that because that's something I would have done. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Someone I, slap this. Now, when I do it, it's not going to be as bad because you already kind of, yeah, you already paved the road for me. Thank you. <laughs> that's something I would do. Somebody asked me God. about a role I did the other day, and I had no memory of, the, of ever doing the movie at all. <laughs> like, we're talking a lot about it. I'm like, oh my God, this guy needs to move on. I have no idea what he's talking about. And I did right. the movie. I did the movie. That's bad. Um, yeah. So anyways, I just totally was like, uh, I don't know, I want to try this thing called acting. And she was like, uh, okay, hold on, stop right there. <laughs> Get into an acting workshop, a good one, period. Right. Don't think about headshots, don't think about an agent, don't think about anything, Get in, and then see if you like it. Well, I got into, at that time, Peggy Fury, who was the number one coach at the time, her and her husband, um, Bill Trailer, and packed up my uh, Volkswagen, my 66 Volkswagen with my monkey. And um, I lived in my sister's office. So it's a zero percent, by the way. Just I'm not being uh, obnoxious and rude. Zero percent beer. Just when I'm just before you carry on, I don't want you to think that I'm sitting here getting oh, drunk that, or something. Is that awful. a beer? Because it doesn't look like it. Yeah, it's zero percent. So it's just I, none, no alcohol. I thought it was Coke. You're making me jealous. Yeah. My, that's my uh, other, my mother knew heroin is like Coke, Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah, good Coke. It's, Okay. Sorry, Dee Dee. That's okay. I thought you were drinking something. Um, so, yeah, I went into this class and I was awful, terrible, miserable. I'm not sure. What, I know they were thinking, what is wrong with this girl? Why does she think she wants to be an actor? I stuttered. I couldn't remember my lines. I had no idea what character breakdown meant. I was a nervous wreck. It was painful. I think everyone probably was like, oh, God, I don't want, don't make her my scene partner. Don't make her my scene partner. She's the worst. <laughs> and, um, two years I put myself through that because I was like, I can't quit this until I can figure it out. <laughs> Again, hard to right. So, but I couldn't figure it out. And I got to be honest with you, 30 plus years later, I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> and hardhead. So, deed or do, the hardhead. So, I still, like, every time the producer calls me, I swear to you, I think he's going to. He's I'm like, you're calling to fire me, right? He's like, no, why do you always say that? <laughs> I go, that's <laughs> He's calling to say you're doing a good job. Oh, you're not going to fire me? He's like, no, did he stop that? <laughs> and he calls me. Oh, my God, Ross, are you firing me? He's like, no, my God. So it's something yeah. that I don't think that you ever uh, know completely. I think once you do think that you have all the answers, I think you're done. Mm -hmm. As an artist, yeah. as an artist, actor, maybe as an actor, actor, you can know all the answers and you can stay there and good luck with that. I don't find joy in that. I, I'm an yeah. art actor in the sense it's about um, the connection with people, 
Mm. Um, moving people, uh, getting people thinking, feeling things, getting those dopamine, serotonin hits in the head after watching. For sure. So what moved you then into, in, into like, because I mean, I, I personally, I suppose I, I was, I've done a little bit of acting when I was a kid and it, it was always, um, it was always like Noel Coward stuff or Oscar Wilde's just fun stuff uh, that, and you, you know, easy, but you still have to have a, an ability to, to, to time the lines and what have you. What, what, what did you, did you, what was there that got you like in your, in your system? In your, yeah. Um, that when I would get near doing a scene well, and I'm being careful with that word well, I'm not even going to say good. <laughs> when, yeah. I, when I felt like I found something in a scene or a moment that was real and authentic and even shocked me that I was able to go there, um, for me is like a score. It's like a point on this, on the card. Um, but yeah. for some reason I didn't realize that the, my, my, my scorecard is endless. <laughs> There's, yeah. I took two, yeah. I took 10 years off because which we will get into in a minute, there, which was really important. And I'm really happy I did that because everything, all the reasons why I was an actor started to diminish when the industry started to change and it wasn't joyful anymore. And it was more mm. of, uh, um, well, like you said earlier, when women start to age, we become unemployed. And when men start to age, they get sexier. And I was like, well, wait, that's not fair. And I was raising, it's and I was raising two boys yeah. on my own. And I did not like them. I was like, how do I justify this or defend this to my children that I'm in an industry <clears throat> that's um, kind of selfish? And more importantly, I was so loyal to an industry that I realized wasn't being very loyal to me back. So that's, and I wanted to help people on a larger level. And that's when I took off 10 years ago and went to school and got a degree as a social worker. But coming back to what you were saying, and it's interesting now to come back 10 years later, it's, I have a whole different lens. And it's kind of nice getting older of, of the seasoned population. It's like what I like to call myself or just yeah, old, yeah. old fart. I'm an old fart, fine. Um, so, nice to embrace that and say, yes, I'm 57. And people are like, why are you, why don't, why aren't you lie? I said, cause it's gross. No, I want to, again, like my alcoholism, I'm not going to hide. This is who I am. And if you have a problem with it, then this is much more about you than me. Because I'm okay with being 57. I would love not to be somebody in recovery, but that's who I am and that's okay. It's actually more than okay. I want to help people, right? And I want to show women at 57. Guess what? We're dateable. You just got to find Yeah, well, I mean, 57 these days there's like another 30, 40 years to go. So it's, it's, it's not right. like How many women, it jacks them up saying, Oh my God, I'm single and I'm in my fifties. I'm like, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm the right guy. I mean, no? we are, yeah, we're definitely programmed to think negatively past 40 or whatever, but I mean, what, sorry, I just want to go back to your, um, acting career because it's what we, this is so funny before I even reached out to Anthony, um, and it, it's so weird because I was watching Falling Down about three three months before we even set this up. And I'm not bullshitting you, okay? I have no reason to bullshit you. But that scene that you're in is, since I was a kid, I've that is the scene I love the most out of that whole entire, whole entire film. It's just a, a series of set pieces, the entire movie, right? But 
the scene yeah. where Michael Douglas comes into the uh, burger joint and sh- and goes fucking batshit crazy, and you're smiling your ass off. It's hysterical, brilliant scene. It's totally it's brilliant. And I was like, I paused that scene when my wife and I were watching it. I said, I just started talking at my wife about why I love this scene and how many years I've, I've loved it. Um, and uh, it really is. And the, the guy, the manager of the, the burger joint, your boss, Rick. his face. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well casted. Yeah. Amazing. Right. Like you guys were brilliantly casted for that. And that scene, man, what was what was that like doing that? Well, thank you so much for your compliments. I promise you that they do go right to my heart. Um, it, <laughs> that made my whole day. Thank you. Again, I think that's why I kept doing it was when I would hear yeah. like that. <gasps> that scene you did made me cry or it made me laugh so hard or I had to rewind it because I wanted to, you know, any kind of uh, connection, you know? So clearly I did something that made you and your wife connect with that character and that's why I do it. Because to me, that's like my heroine, right? That's my drug right there. I'm like, woo, there's my dopamine sure, shot. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. But that's a great story because I went to read for Joel Schumacher for a series called Malibu 2000 at the time. And he really liked me, but he said on the spot, I really like you, but I'm going to go with this other actress. Who Guess who that turned out to be? Drew Barrymore. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> you understand, I have gotten completely, like I've missed roles out to Drew, Patricia Arquette, like really. But honestly, these are good company, man. If I'm even in their reading of is... them, I'm, I'm playing the game. <laughs> but they got the role, I... but I'm playing the game. Yeah. For sure, man. It's the brutality of, of yeah. the uh, industry. Um, and uh, Jerry Maguire. Um, uh, uh, I know. I can't think of her goddamn name. Bridget Jones. I can't think of her name. Brilliant. Brilliant. Right. So I've always been like, I'm like a team player that way. I'm like, listen, if someone gets a role over me and I really feel like I could have done a better job, then that chaps my ass a little bit. It's like, you know, no, no, yeah. no. It was not, I couldn't. Have, but honestly, 99.9% of the time when someone else gets a role over me, I'm like, yeah, let the better let the better bitch do it. She did it, man. She, she <laughs> nailed that. Like, right. It's like, I could not have touched that performance. Good for you, honey. Not all the actors are generous like that. They really like still get like bitchy. I'm like, yeah. oh, that. that's just ugly. Just come on, man. Wish your fellow people like good luck. And, and, you know, so I went in and then he, uh, so Drew got the series, which didn't go. No, 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 no. Didn't go. But she goes, I have a small role in, in this movie I'm doing. He just said this movie I'm doing. didn't say Michael Douglas, Robert Duvall. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, yeah. Small role. It's a whammy burger employee. I think you could have a lot of fun with it. It's your role if you want it. And I was like, of course. Thank you. So went home. He just gave me just the scene. And it was just a straightforward scene. He's trying to get breakfast. We're not letting him have it. And then I'll help. Like, that's it, right? So yeah. I'm thinking the way I was trained. I thought, oh no, this is not just a scene about breakfast and him not getting it. I yeah. scored my character like she literally thought she was Bonnie. She's Bonnie and Clyde, right? But the problem yeah, is, yeah, she yeah. never found her Clyde yet. And she hates her job and she's sitting there working, you know, in this, with this hamburger on her head, feeling like she's way better than this place. And she's just waiting one day for Clyde to come in and take her away from this so she and him can go like live life dangerously smoke cigarettes get drunk and the whole thing <laughs> what happens in comes michael douglas so she's like is this my clyde and that's exactly how i played it so when he pulled the gun out she almost had an orgasm she's like and he's got a gun 
he's totally <laughs> so the whole scene was going towards her narrative and what's so great is that Joel Schumacher had no idea that's how he scored it nor did Michael Douglas and even Michael Douglas was looking at me like what is this actor doing with this role <laughs> and I was just like oh my god and it's like yeah it's Rick you know oh you know and so everything he did was just like amazing and titillating to her you know um right but, definitely yeah right but i will say this because we shot it about a month after the riots we were waiting for our set call to go downtown to shoot this scene when the riots blew up i was watching on tv waiting for my set call and i called them and said we're not filming right and they're like well so far i said have you seen the news there's some shit going on right now you know and they yeah. Yeah, and of course they called back and said, uh, we canceled the shoot. I said, you think? And the riots happened. Jeez. And a month later, we went back to shoot that scene. And let me tell you, we had, there were still embers. There was still smoke. It was- God, it was, Jesus. Yeah, and so but, the, the movie we were making became darker than we even realized because the movie be, was about that. And so when we went to go do the scene and when he pulled out the gun and I yelled, oh, and he's got a gun. I mean, everybody hit the floor, but my character, Joel Schumacher, jumped yeah. up and laughing. He loved it. But when we put the film together, it was it was after the riots, which was such a dark time for everybody. He had to take that out because it was like too light, too funny. Had it been a different yeah. time, he would have left it in. But it was just too dark. Okay. He couldn't allow the film to to uh, go there. It was just too soon. Too soon. No, I get it. I mean, what? So, because I mean, obviously, like um, up to that point, you would have been in and around many many a film set and seen many many a thing that probably would have blown us mortals minds a little bit but um what's it like working yeah. with with michael douglas or what it, what's it what's it like when that kind of that call comes through this is who you're working with or or what have but, you well that's the funny story is that when i went to the wardrobe fitting um i'm sorry you sorry, you, you you sort that cable out. You, you do it, Dee Dee. Yeah, I realize my battery's going dead. I'm telling you, when it comes to electronics, I'm just like <laughs> challenged at best. So um, when I went to the wardrobe fitting here, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be moving with Michael Douglas and Robert Duvall and oh my God, all this stuff. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna be all sexy because I'm gonna make her Bonnie waiting for a client. And I go in there and they give me this hamburger and they put it on my yeah. head. And I and this polyester uniform and I went, oh, hell no, this is not the way I'm gonna be seen to all of America with Michael Douglas's with a hammer on my head. And then because, <laughs> again, because that was my ego, right? And then I realized from my training, use it, Dee Dee. Sheila hates that hamburger too, right? She hates her uniform too. So I used everything that was given to me, but you're right, I, when I got on the set and I saw him, even to this day, I, I, I think it was a dream. Like, did I really get that role? Did I really work with him? It's uh, when you're in the character and you're working, it, 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 you get out of that. Oh my God, it's Michael Douglas kind of thing. Yeah. But, but I had to kind of check out and just do my role. Otherwise I would have done what I did when I met uh, Jack Nicholson and started stuttering, choked on an apple almost. Yeah, I mean, I get really stupid around people. But that's the, that's a standard reaction to Nicholson. I mean, I've met that guy 50 times and every single time no, I always have an, I, I always have a fucking apple in my, I never learn, never learn. Always yeah. choking on the apples. Yeah, and only Didi like would literally think that that's a smart thing to do when you're nervous and talking <laughs> to grab an apple and try to chew and swallow. Like, well, I wasn't even hungry. I was a nervous tick that backfired. Like, yeah. I'm choking. Well, what you got here? What you got here is one big fucking apple, Didi. Okay, and I'm like, ah, I'm done. I'm 
<laughs> ever let leave me in the room with him again by myself. I can't be trusted. I make such a <laughs> myself. I make a joke myself. So but for that that is really that is really cool. I mean like I love that first of all I love that film. I love your your scene in there and I, and and it's it, it, you really made it your own. You steal the scene as it were. Um but then you know you've you've crossed You've crossed over to TV as well, obviously, uh, in, in that, that funny old scene uh, with, with um, damn his name, I've forgotten his, the actor's name, Alexander uh, in Seinfeld. Friends. In Seinfeld. Oh, oh uh, Seinfeld? Jason Alexander. Yeah. Jason Alexander. Yeah. Yes, I remember the name. Oh, it's Renny Zellweger earlier, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, like, it's, uh, that's... What's it like traversing all these different avenues of the industry, you know? Um, for me, I'm, I have, I, I have the imposter syndrome. <laughs> I always okay. think that they meant to cast the girl behind me, that they misdialed and one digit off and called me and gave me the role. It was always like their mistake. And I just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I never <laughs> swallowed a hundred percent that I worked with Michael Douglas, that I worked with Jason, that, you know, and um, all these other people that. Because then I would have to think something of myself, which is something that's still very hard for me to to believe, right? That, oh, God mm. forbid, I actually might be a tad bit talented to get these roles. I always think it was a mistake. Because <laughs> then it makes yeah. it palatable for me to then just go do my work. Because it's like, I don't want them to discover they made a mistake before, <laughs> before I go in and prove to them I can do it anyways. I know you made a mistake, but I can do it. Isn't that crazy? Like the way I have but, to but walk I've, around I've, the, house, the back door to get in. I I can't just walk through the front door. No, I have to go all yeah. from behind. <laughs> I've spoken about imposter syndrome with a couple of other actors this like last couple of weeks, and it's it's extraordinary to me that that it, that these people that I talk to are so so talented, and and it's and it's refreshing, and it, it reassures me a lot. But the imposter syndrome comes up so so much um yeah I god see, it's just so human talk human. about this and i remember it I, I i remember it as a vague memory almost like a dream because it wasn't real because to me mm. it was kind of not real because it was a mistake they made a mistake but i just you know got in there and did the job anyways and the best i could before they realized yeah. they made a mistake and cast me by accident <laughs> <laughs> but you've got such there's like um very um I just like the, a nat, there's a natural youthful beauty to you in the um, those two roles of just reference there the Seinfeld and then obviously the um, falling down and everything. Like, how did you see yourself like on camera? What's it like when you see yourself on camera um, as said character? Uh, and how much? Um, what, I mean, what I guess I'm trying to get at. What's it like seeing yourself on camera when you're sat in the cinema watching it or tv and you're seeing yourself and but there's the real you watching it it must be kind of weird okay once again william you've made it far more interesting than the, than what the real truth is I, <laughs> I find it incredibly painful to watch myself like oh, well there's that that's a real answer that's kind of what i was driving towards anyway a sharp stick in my eye would feel less painful than watching myself so what i i gotta be honest with you i don't watch any of my interviews and i don't i make a point how do i say this like Big Sky, I'm on Big Sky, ABC. I don't know how, where it is in London, but in in, in 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 our world over here in the States, it's a, I'm a Canada, what am I talking about? <laughs> <I'm> a, <laughs> but it's still Tuesday nights. But anyways, on ABC, um, it's like I watch the show, the episodes, so that 
I can see it, know what I'm talking about, and I want to support all my fellow actors and the crew who work so hard and all that. But I got to tell you, when I come up on screen, my palms get wet. I start to hyperventilate. I, I, I feel like I'm going to I go, God, the whole thing is just icky. So I watch it as objectively as I can to see if there's stuff mm. that I don't want to do again or, well, that worked, that did not work, or, hey, they cut out that little funny line I had. Hey, what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> I go my, hey, watching myself, too. Why did they cut out that line? I thought it was really funny. Um, then all of a sudden, yeah. now, full screen time, it's like, that's, I'm such a hypocrite. But I just get through it for information one time, and I move past, and I don't look back. Like, yeah. I won't watch this in a, well, this is not recorded. Like, I won't listen to this, because it's just, I would rather do anything else with my life than listen to me bubble. I've learned I've learned the hard way to, to I've had to listen back to podcasts because otherwise I don't think I'm ever going to learn I don't I don't think I'm necessarily getting any better at interviews or what have you but there are moments where I think I could I could have done that bit better and I and I try try harder I try to be more uh, engaged in the moment so it can but it's very cringeworthy though it's really hard to listen to yourself I mean God really difficult like what I say I do interviews not for me I mean I don't do interviews so that I can listen to myself I don't do interviews so I can look at myself and I certainly don't act so I can entertain for myself entertain myself right it's like I do these for others and I kind of try to do an organic approach where I try to trust those around me don't I don't yeah. I don't have a lot of people around me I have one manager I don't even have an agent like I'm really doing this simple school you know and I'm doing this organic i trust the directors i trust the production i trust my followers and my fans when they say oh my god i really love denise i go oh okay i like when she does these things i mean i listen to what they say oh i love it that she's a smart ass or i love it oh is she sketchy <laughs> hey is, is denise shady is she in on it and then i think why do they think i'm in on it i'm doing something that makes them think <laughs> listen and i learn it's, it's when why i start to hear things like wow she sucks or the producers come to me and go do I don't know what's going on with you, honey, but you're really, you're not, you're not coming up to the level of acting we need. Or, you know, when I start to hear negative feedback, yeah. for instance, this interview, I won't listen to it, but I love Turkey. Yes, my publicist is named Turkey. Um, yeah, 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 true. <laughs> and my manager will, will listen to it and say, what, really great job, but you kind of bad what you ran on, or you cut off the the interviewer one too many times <laughs> yeah right i mean it's just it, it, it's one of those things man like i i don't know i, I i'm always like it's, i think what 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 you've you touched on is, is so true when it comes to you know my i suppose my questioning around the, the uh, you know what's it like to watch yourself on telly it's like look dude the reality is that most people fucking hate it and we're terrified so just and, and i i get that it's just there's some sometimes you know that there, there might be a, a profound story behind it all so I, I kind of like to try to figure that question yeah. one you know just once but but for, for me because we're, we're kind of up to big sky now but what really fascinates me is you did take 10 years out of the, the profession um but but obviously you're three years um sober so you were you were managing to keep it you Actually, sorry there, that's a journey because that I was a very, very high, high functioning alcoholic. Like, okay, yeah. We're, we're scary because we go under the radar a bit. I mean, most people kind of don't really, they can write off as, ah, she had one too many, or ah, we all do it every once in a while. But then there are those who actually really know you and they look and they know. They're like, wait a minute, I think she's got a problem. And nobody, and even if they do try to come talk to you about it, you get defensive because you're not ready. You're not ready until yeah. you're ready. No one's going to tell you that you're ready. Only you know when you are ready. Only you know what your bottom looks like. Everybody's bottom 
until you hit mm. bottom, you want to change, by the way. And everyone's bottom looks different. Your bottom might not be as deep as mine because I'm a hard head. I'm telling you, I got sober in my 50s. If that's not the end, <laughs> that's not a hard, yeah. I don't know what is. But yeah, that's a pretty good long run, isn't it? Right. Yeah. That's a good run. As a successful, you know, I don't call myself a working actor, very fortunate to have done what I did. Never, never. I also high functioning. I never drank while working, never drank while going to school, never drank, you know, while breastfeeding or carried my children. I mean, I, I high functioning. I could mm. manage, I was able to manage it until I couldn't any longer, you know what I mean? But it's very, it's it's a lot of work being a high-functioning alcoholic, you know, planning, sure. you're going to get, you know, and that it's whole- It's exhausting, yeah. It is, it's exhausting. As hard as it is to have some days where I'm sober during a pandemic and not smoke cigarettes or drink, you know what's harder? Hiding the lie that you have a problem and, and then people feeling bad for you. Wow. Yeah. That's awful. That that does not feel good. People don't look mm -hmm. at me like that anymore. If anything, I went from, oh, check this out, William, you're going to love this. I went from the identified problem in my family to the identified possibility. Yeah. Think yeah. about that. When you're in recovery, you go from the identified problem to the identified possibility. When mm -hmm. you are trying to conquer anything that's a problem in your life, you show other people that it's possible. They see you the mm -hmm those hard days, those knocks, but you do it, you get through it. And then you, you don't even know that people look at you and go, damn, that can't be easy. Or I don't know what it's like to try to not drink during a pandemic or not smoke or not give in to urges that are so powerful and say, damn it, I'm not doing it. I'm going to go to all the skills that they taught. I'm not going to do it. And all of a sudden yeah. go from this identified problem, to identified possibility. And then you go, you, you, you go from like somebody people feel sorry for or get angered yeah. at. A lot of people are anger, get angry at us because they don't understand why we can't stop. Right. Inspiring people to show them that, hey, if I can do this, you can look in your own backyard. What can you tackle in your life? No, abs You're running absolutely. the man. <laughs> no, 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 it's true. It's absolutely true. I mean, I, I do have a, um, I don't know, a nagging... I don't know, a nagging question in the back of my head, which I don't want it to come across as tactless um, or, you know, um, disrespectful. But, you know, you're there, there must be a mounting pressure with having a, a sister that's doing reasonably well, successful, blah, blah, blah. And then you knowing that you're drinking and stuff. Do you think like, you know, that that because that happens in families like that happens. Fuck the acting like blah, blah, movie star and whatever that happens on. I don't know if successful banker has a brother who's a, you know, like, like, I don't know, someone like me, like a fucking part-time gardener or something. And you can't help but I think, know what, Oh God. Yeah. I, Sorry, I know God. where you're going with. It. And I just want to say thank you for asking that question. Cause I know that that is something that everybody is curious about. And I love that you were brave enough to ask me that a lot of people wouldn't. And I think again, conversation is so important. And for me to be transparent hmm. is important. I never drank because of my sister. No, actually, she, like I said, she's no, a no. fantastic person. But the fact that she was the most beautiful woman in the world, the most talented actress in the world. I mean, she's considered such an icon and a mysterious creature of, of, of the earth. And she is. Um, it was not her, but society treated me differently. Absolutely. Um, but but my trauma and stuff started early on. Hmm. So if you think about it, anything that I was going to get from the press, which was always like they, some, they did some pretty shitty things. Like they, they would put a picture of her looking stunning and a picture of me looking just shit. 
and they would kind of do oh, comparing contrast. And that was really kind of evil. It was kind of like, wow, that was kind of mean. Or they would, um, they would, when you step on me in an evening gown to shove me aside to get to her to take a picture before before I started actually becoming an act, um, a working actor. And yeah. so there was there was a stuff that just all that did was all it did was allow me to feel even shittier about myself than I already did. Right. It compounded that. So it, 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 it made my narrative even darker than it already was. Her yeah. help. Now, what's so beautiful about my family is Shell knew that. Shell knew. I don't even know what it would be like to, to have a sister, you know, who's a working actress and blah, blah, blah. Right. It's like she she knows this. And we've had conversations about it. She's so um She's so uh, sympathetic to that and empathetic to it. So mm. um, she was actually a huge support for the entire family because it was such a change for all of us when she became so huge. So so um, my issues were already there. That just didn't happen, right? right? And anybody mm. who's got someone in the family, and it doesn't have to be Michelle Pfeiffer, it could be anybody, you know, who's doing well and is not struggling with a disease, right? Um, such as an addiction, uh, will compare themselves to other, those who don't. And again, mm. just goes hand in hand with that shame, that self-loathing that addicts we have. We just hate ourselves, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you. Like, I I had um, I've had like a, I I love I love like Michael Palin, right? I love the guy. He's a wonderful. He's done so much with his life, right? You know, from Monty Python through to all the travel programs. This is ridiculous. I couldn't read his diaries when they came out in hardback or what have you. I read about one chapter and then I became so overloaded with jealousy and, and bitterness that I couldn't read them. They actually didn't unhinge me, but it just made me so terrified that I wasn't going to achieve anything with my life. And I was holding myself up to fucking Michael Palin. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's, wow. it's, it's crazy. It's crazy what people do. What people do. I mean, I, I laugh at it now, but I mean, but I get it. I, I'm trying to speak to your point, I think. But, uh... oh, but you're right. Okay, but just look at that jealousy. Look at that emotion. Mm. Is jealousy really about, about have anything to do with the other person at all? No. No, it's no all about one's, one's un, ah, not very mindful. Inse of yeah, it, it's secure. It's a lot of stuff, you know. Mm. So to say I was insecure growing up, absolutely. A am I still insecure? Yeah, a lot less, a lot mm. less, which is funny because when I was hot and young and cute and no wrinkles and a size zero, I was more insecure than I am now with the wrinkles and the gobble gobble neck and, you know, my butt getting all <laughs> in the wide range. He's getting the wide range. I got to get on the treadmill. But my hip gave out. See, I'm getting old. I'm like, I can't go on the treadmill. My hip gave out. <laughs> <laughs> Good excuse. Getting old is not for sissies. And that is so true, man. Getting old is not I, for sissies. To I totally agree. A hundred percent. But talking about the insecurity and all that kind of stuff and jealousy, here's the thing. This is, I try to live my life like this and I got this from my recovery. When I leave a room, or I leave this interview, how do I want them to think of me when I've left? Do I want them to say, wow, what a bitch? Or, wow, that's a little insecure. Or what was that about? We'll talk about ego, right? Or uh, that person left a lot of hate behind. Or they shifted mm. the energy in the room where you just want to sage it because it, it was just such negative energy. Or do I want to leave the room a little brighter, a little lighter, I want them to say, oh, my God, she made me laugh. Or what do you mean? she said that one thing that really resonated with me or some kind of light, 
something that that resembles light. I want to leave the room with that, leaving that energy behind in the hopes that maybe that carries on with their day and they continue that on, right? And we we have those choices. That doesn't mean I don't have a bad day. That does not mean that 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 I don't have bad days. Of course I do. Hmm. Um, but um, but that, I, that that's the, that's the hurdle. That's the challenge of of recovery, right? That's a, and and not even recovery. That's a, that's the challenge of life is to just accept you're not going to be able to be 100% and don't beat up on yourself when, when you, you can't be. Well, that's the whole thing is that people, we use excuses to relapse. Problem I personally okay, have. Yeah. yeah. The problem I already have with that, and I agree with this a lot, there's a different philosophies behind relapse. I think that the addict is already, the wheels are turning in with the addict. They're, so they're, you're going to find any excuse to relapse. So it's not, people don't relapse, go, la, 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 life is great. Like, I'm not going to hang up this interview and then just go drink. Like, yeah. that, those wheels, that addict in me already started rubbing her wings together. She was already uncorking the bottle way before this interview. She's going to maybe use something you said in this interview as an excuse. That right? is so true. Right? So there's pre-lapse signs that if we yes. can educate an addict who's in about and then that's become and that's hard i know when my addict and by the way you know people like to say oh you so so you're no longer an addict i'm like oh no no i will always be an addict i'm just not activated i'm not in my disease i'm not using right so i view yeah. driving my car and when i was using my addict was driving my car and she was going to drive drive us into a fucking wall we were not mm. no she was, she doesn't know how to bitch don't know how to drive she breaks all the rules <laughs> she's out of control i went to re i went to rehab grabbed her by the back of the hair threw her in the trunk and locked it. Now I'm driving, right. but I had to relearn how to drive my car. And, the, and mm. I, I promise you, sometimes this is what I, my relapse signs, feelings are like this. I feel like she somehow got out of the trunk, jumped in the back seat, and starts tapping my shoulder. Is when I think I want a drink, right? And I think, oh, a drink would be nice. Maybe, mm. maybe I can be a normie now. Maybe I can have one drink. It's her tapping on my shoulder. That's exact, right? And I have to stop my yeah. car. And look back and go, bitch, I did not let you out of the trunk. And I had to put her back in the trunk, lock it, call a friend immediately. Call somebody and say, whoa, WD Fitty. That's the name of my alcoholic. I named her WD Fitty. I said, WD Fitty got out of the trunk and was tapping on my shoulder. <laughs> but see here, there, in that moment, you have a choice. Are you going to let her drive? Or are you going to lock her back in the trunk? Remain in the driver's seat, take a big breath, pull that car over mm. and call somebody. And I guess it's how much power you've given that, that, that entity, that, that sort of figure of the darkness, you know, it's like, I absolutely hear what you're saying, man, with the, um, the, 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 the alcoholic has, uh, or the, the, uh, the addict rather has made up their mind without them even fucking realizing like maybe two weeks before that they were going to have a drink and it was just a matter of time. And it's just, it's extraordinary to me. Um, that, that that is so simple, right? What you and I have just stumbled across, it's a, a known thing, but it's so, it's, it's just so obvious. It's simple, but it's just so, but how fucking hard is it to control that? Yeah, it's like, I never even heard it. I went to school to get my, um, that, my bachelor's in psych and then my master's of social work and a lot of psychology classes because I'm a bachelor's in psych. And even in, in, in all of this, I never heard these things, like prelapse signs, what, those, what that looks like, what to look for. Um, uh, I, uh, I, there's, a, there's, there's all these amazing things that I learned in rehab, which um, internal family systems. 
um, dialectic therapy, DBT, CBT, all, and they used all of them together. A little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of a little bit of you're ahead of the game if you have a god. If you die, don't worry, don't worry about it. You can borrow somebody else's. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I like know I had one. to think of God. I'm like, don't you make me believe in your God? And they're like, Didi, chillax, chillax. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> it's fine. Just how about this, Didi? Are you the most powerful thing in the world? Are you? the biggest most i said well no and they're like okay then fine you have a higher power you just don't really know what it is yet and i actually rediscovered because i'm such a natural person i love animals and i love life and all that duh my higher power is mother earth right the universe that's bigger than that's bigger than all of us i don't care how big you might think you are in this world you're nothing if you're from the from the satellite looking down all of us are little nothings yeah <laughs> picture and that makes me feel humble that makes me put things in perspective. I can take a breath and think clearly that way. And then I'm able to come mm. with humility and, and gratitude. And that's one thing about being an actor now versus before. I always was very grateful, but now I'm grateful on a whole different level. Like I really do like, I'm flattered that you want me to be on this podcast. I am flattered mm -hmm. if anybody, anybody wants to interview me. Um, the fact that I got this gig, you know, it was a lifeline that my brother-in-law didn't even know that he had um, tossed me. Yeah. No idea when he offered me this role that he he had he had tossed me a lifeline. He had no idea. So why was it such a lifeline then? Was it something to focus? Is it something to focus on and, and, I spent 10 and believe in? Years in school and to become a social worker. Ten years because I had two kids in tow, so I could never go like full time. I also had a lot of learning disabilities. No idea. Mm -hmm. I went to community college, by the way, which I'm very proud to say. I love that I went to college, uh, community college. They helped me figure out that I was not dumb. I was told in school I was dumb. I wasn't dumb. I had learning disabilities. And once they accommodated those learning disabilities, I started getting A's like crazy. It took me longer to write a paper. It took me longer to take a test. Everything took longer and I needed more help. But guess what? I still got the same grades. No, I didn't cheat. I mean, right? It just, my there <laughs> was longer. And, 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 you know, and being a single mother raising two teenage boys or two little boys at the time. So the journey and my academic journey was very humbling. And again, I felt like an imposter. I'm like, I'm not an academia. I'm just the mother in the back um, who's gained weight immediately because I started eating carbs. And no one even recognized it. <laughs> I was under the radar. Um, <laughs> I was starting to just gobble up information. So anyways, that journey was very humbling for me. Um, I am not like, I'm not a very, mm, how do I say this? I'm not a very, I'm a right brain person, not very left brain. Okay, yeah, yeah. By the time I got 10 years later, I had to sell everything I had and, and what have you to pay off my loans and along the way, you know, the whole thing. So I started from scratch and we had a rent, which is, you know, that's fine. I, so my, my sons and I were renting and literally I'm interning my, at about to my, my second quarter at UCLA doing my master's program. And it was literally then I realized, hey, wait a minute, I can't live on $50,000. How am I going to do that? Like, yeah. I, I literally, literally was like, really, Dee Dee? We've been telling you for years that $50,000 in LA is nothing, you know? And that's not, that's uh, taxes too. I mean, like it's less mm. than that. So I was sitting there go just going, it, oh, because my last year at UCLA, it was a two-year program. I took a year off in yeah. between to get sober. Yeah, okay. So my two-year master's of social work at UCLA took three years because I took a year off. To get my to get my head back on straight to recover. That's very admirable, man. That's and very cool. It was scary. I did not know what my mm. future was going to look like, but I yeah. 
I knew that if I didn't do something, it was not going to be pretty. Um, I didn't want to leave my boys without a mom. And my family loved me so much. They were just like so supportive. So it was a beautiful journey with a lot of support. And that's, mm. I'm very fortunate. Not a lot of people, you know, have that. So, mm. um, so when I finally, I was, uh, um, you know, a few months from getting, um, graduating and I was like, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you? And, I, and I was like, I don't know, but I just know that my heart's in the right place. I want to help people. Um, but, and I know I want to help people on a larger scale because everybody else goes one-on-one -on -one clinical or what have you. And my area of concentration were those without homes and mental health and substance use. Yeah. So what I realized is I wanted to somehow create like a talk show or something, bringing all my, my best minds together. My friends are social workers and create like a town hall where we talk to people, okay, yeah. where we talk to people about um, micro, mezzo and um, micro, mezzo and I'm just so dyslexic. Macro, mezzo. Me, me too. Yeah, like policy or community and individual ways of okay. looking at social. Right. Through biopsychosocial lens. You have to look at all of that when you look at somebody. You have to look at their biology, their environment, their, so, their, their culture, their spiritual. You have to look at the whole person before you ever can make an assessment, I think. So this is a whole different way of looking at, at, at social issues and individual people and groups of people, right? But I didn't know how I was going to do that because I'd been away from the camera for 10 years. So yeah. David called me out of nowhere. David never calls me. <laughs> I love David. He loves me. He's my brother-in-law, my sister's husband. But we're not on redial. You know, no. You know, and so I see him at holidays and we always give each other shit. And I love him. He loves me. And that's it, right? He texts yeah. me out of, no, out of nowhere and says, hey, are you still acting? I think I have a really great role for you. I almost dropped my phone. I was like, did he just, what? Did he just? Oh my God. So of course I text back, yes, e yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and, um, he says, well, it's, it's the very beginning stages, but I, I, I have this role, Denise, and I think you'd be really good for it. I'll get back to you. And that's how it started. Hmm. We started Big Sky. I was still graduating from UCLA. I was still in school. Um, and with this job, Big Sky is, is enabling me to financially provide for my children but also now is giving me a baseline to be able to, to one day create the show that I want to help people on a larger scale. That's brilliant. That's, that's amazing. I, I want to, I don't think any other celebrity has a social worker's degree and a bachelor's of psych and all the life experiences that I've had blend all that together with a talk show kind of town hall situation and talk to people like just really have conversations and uncomfortable conversations, you know, and have Do you know that okay. There's such a, that's, that's really, it's fucking great that you have that goal. Cause I think so many people they'll, they'll go, right. I, I, I go get, I got to get this money. I got to get this job together. I got to get my shit in order. Well, I've got it now. Why am I doing it? What do I do it for? And then it all falls apart again. You, you've got this really cool thing that you're aiming for. Um, soulful. Um, I don't want to use the word cool. It's so demeaning, not demeaning. It's just naff, but, um, you know, and I, and I really, really, um, admire that because it feels to me anyway it feels like you've done enough you've had enough shit and you've done enough work and like you put those two together and it's that that kind of works yeah yeah it, for me and it's also i've come to realize i can tell my boys and tell them blue in the face something or i can just do it and that's one of the reasons why i went to school in my late 40s you know what when, when yeah late 40s and i just literally 
walked up a community college driveway and walked and said, Hey, who I talked to. And they're like, so I just said, I go, hi, I want to help people. They're like, well, that's nice. What degree do you want? I go, I don't know. And they're you tell me. and they go, no, that's not how this works. You tell me. I said, I don't know. I just want to help people. They're like a psych degree. I said, sure. Okay. <laughs> so all start rolling. Right. And then um, through like, like everybody's journey in college, you start to discover other things. And it, I actually end up going, more towards a social worker degree versus this, I got the bachelor's yeah. and stuff. I wanted to, I wanted a bigger, a broader um, exposure to uh, social welfare issues. So that yeah. meant, you know, what social worker recs. That's, that's the program at UCLA, that's what they offer anyways. Hmm. That's really cool. Um, I think we've kind of run out of time now, damn it. Um, <laughs> so annoying. We've, we've actually had a bit of sun today in England. It's been absolutely stunning. It's like been like 20 degrees in, in March, which is pretty extraordinary. And and we've and I've got a bit of a cold as well, so I'm a bit I'm a bit all over the place. My body doesn't know where the hell it is, but um, it's it's so wonderful to 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 speak to speak with you. And I, honestly, like you know, I mean, I've I've spoken to people who um, happy to talk about addiction um, and what have you, but we've never gone into it. I've never gone into to it with with somebody on this level. Um, like I said, it resonates with me quite quite deeply, and I can't really talk about it because. Uh, my own experience with this, uh, you know, family member, because that would be very disrespectful and awful thing for me to do. But it's um, very close to my heart, put it that way. And when I say to people, I'm really proud of the work that you've done to, to, to be sober, to get to where you are, it can sound really patronizing. But from what I'm trying to say is like, I've, I've, dealt man i've you know and i and I, I think what you've achieved is is really really great and i think that the goal man that you're aiming for yourself sounds totally attainable and one that is really beautiful thank you i don't think anything you said sounded uh light or patronizing at all like what you said your accent's so much more prettier than mine patronizing <laughs> at all and i felt everything you said was very heartfelt i do you know it's funny too because i think that um but I love the fact that you're brave enough to even like try to have a conversation with me and say, I don't know if this is patronizing or not, but I, that's not how I meant it. I love that because it's transparent. It's honest. It's your truth. Right. Hmm. Um, I would not know how to have talked to someone like me back in the day until I, you know what I mean? So it's all, hmm. it's all new territory and that's okay. Right. Yeah. The fact yeah. That you, that, that fact that you appreciate, you know, my journey and my story, that, that means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Yeah. It does. Sweet, thank you. I'm I'm following you on Instagram, and uh, I'll keep in touch. And uh, it'll be really cool to follow you. And Canadian you birds. still, yeah, you still got that smile, Didi. You've still got that smile from all the, the falling down. All that. It's so, so weird how some people just keep hold of that youthful thing. It's either in their eyes or in their smile. It's one of the two, and uh, you definitely still got that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Okay then. Change my mind. Hey, I'm not above that. I mean, I'm all right. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> all right, mate. Look after you. yourself. Have a beautiful day. Yes, you too. Thank you. Bye bye.